This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 95 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. So gentlemen, before we get into our discussion on all things football, how are we doing this week? You know, I think we're all sort of recovering from Georgia State not getting the Big 12 invite. Um, I think we're going to we're going to make it through it. But uh, so that news dropped and obviously it was a big loss. Uh, I think we were all expecting it and it didn't happen. And, you know, it is what it is. You move on. You definitely move on. Uh, you know, we'll get into conference realignment a little bit later on. But, man, this this is all kind of weird at this time. Um but, you know, keeping in to answer Jordan's question and keeping it in the theme of football, uh, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. My two fantasy teams that uh, I don't like either. I don't like either of the drafts that I put together. They both uh, came away with wins this week. So, you know, we're starting off on the season one and oh in two leagues. And that's that's all that matters to me right now. So until that starts to flounder or until, you know, my friend Charles gets too good and starts being really annoying, then, you know, that's that's all you I mean have yesterday right in the fantasy chat. Are we all one and oh, all three of us? Are we all one and oh right no. now? Oh um, man, Brady, I, I, I can't I can't oh relate, man. Two, all right, I'm just gonna say we're being those dudes who talk about fantasy football that no one cares <laughs> about, and I feel like we should just put a limit on that to just this one time. Um, although right. we were talking about the NFL by proxy, and the Falcons played this Sunday, and there was a game played, and there isn't much more to say about it. So I am interested in any attention about NFL football that doesn't go directly towards that happening. So uh, I do respect that. Uh, I guess. <laughs> You know, we're going to get into the, the game and everything, the, the game that happened last weekend, the game that's coming this weekend. But wasn't a super weekend for Atlanta-based football teams. Uh, well, Georgia Tech beat Kennesaw. But that aside, which was an expected result, just Atlanta-based football teams didn't have a whale of a time. It was still a fun weekend of football, though. Um, and, you know, like, I am definitely not somebody who is walking around, like, telling every single person about my fantasy team. Like, that's those people are so annoying. Um, and I didn't actually get to see much football outside of Georgia State. I uh, just, you know, was busy doing other things. Um, but I did happen to see the end of that Monday night football game uh, between the Raiders and the Ravens. And, man, if every single football game was as drunk as that one was, it would be the most amazing sport. Obviously, that's not the case, but, you know, I had a lot of fun, so. And, I mean, the other happening, um, I know, friend of the pod, Ben Moore, has uh, had some Florida State ties and probably Oof. wasn't a huge fan of how that uh, Florida State game ended. <laughs> My brother was there covering the game and uh, was there to witness whatever that was. And so I guess, you know, looking at it big picture wise, Obviously, Florida State has a lot more history and national championship and positives to say about their program. But I think on balance, Georgia State can at least feel less bad than Florida State fans, because uh, that looked like an awful way to lose a game to a team that you, quote, shouldn't lose to. I mean, it's the first time they've lost to an FCS school ever. And so, Ooh. yeah, I, I think in the misery index, even though I'm sure Georgia State fans aren't feeling great right now, you're not number one on the misery index like it can always get worse it can always be you give up a hail mary on the last play 
when you're in like a cover two instead of just playing prevent because all they're going to do is do a Hail Mary. Um, it could always be that bad. So all I'm hearing you say is that Georgia State is the better state school than Florida State, correct? Like, I, I just want to be crystal clear in that assumption, right? Well, the Panthers haven't lost to Jacksonville State in, what, almost a decade now? So, I don't know, right. you tell me. That is quite the qualifier. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to bring up the because, old dominion qualifier in a second oh no you no. can note that in that answer or in that you know response from jordan that we can't actually say georgia state hasn't lost to jacksonville state either it just has been since 2013 because they haven't played since 2013 uh but thank you for that throwback to the winless season we Oof. actually david wasn't there for this no david this before david got there so only me and jordan on this podcast Ooh, dark can, uh, times dark commiserate times. about the, the dark times of the 2013 georgia state football team didn't they only win twice in 2014 though it was abilene christian it was it was the, fir- oh, well, it was it was the first game yep your first game in the panther band and at georgia state we won off of a field thing? goal yep the frustrating thing about that first game is because everybody told me that Georgia State wasn't good. Uh, because, you know, by the, literally they were coming off of a winless season. Um, and so during the, like, latter parts of the fourth quarter and, like, you know, we were hanging and Abilene Christian went up. I was like, okay, I mean, you know, I've watched enough football. I know exactly what needs to happen here. You know, you just, you put together one good drive, kick a field goal, go home with a win. Everybody's happy. And, you know, they did it. And I was like, what are y'all talking about? Like, it's a decent football team. Like, I just saw it. You know, mind you, that was, I think, my second year of, like, really knowing college football. Like, I, you know, when I was younger, I've been watching the NFL, you know, since I was a kid. Um, but I, I never really got into college football because, you know, my my dad doesn't really care about college football um, or college sports really in general. And like college football in the South is just such rooted ties. But I didn't really get those roots because I didn't go to college until that point, you know. Um, but, yeah, it just I was just really, you know, hopeful for Georgia State um, and it just did not work out how I thought it would, was going to work out after that first game. Uh, but it's OK. You know, we're here now. It's much better now. In theory, we'll talk about it. No, in it's a still better. Yeah, it's still better. All right. But yeah, lots, lots of good stuff to uh, come away with still. We, we will get to that in just a moment as we are going to be talking about the Panthers 0-2 start after dropping last week's game at North Carolina, looking at how things can improve as they return home to host Charlotte this weekend. And we'll also be taking another look at the realignment conversation now that the Big 12 have officially made their moves. But first, gentlemen, let's take a look back at Georgia State's 59-17 loss to UNC. Uh, in that game, it got into danger territory early for State as the Tar Heels jumped out to a 21-3 lead. Uh, Georgia State ended up responding early, though, with a 17-play, 75-yard touchdown drive reminiscent of the offense we've come to expect and cut the lead back to 11. It was 24-10 after two quarters, and the Panthers forced UNC's opening drive of the third to stall out in the red zone with a missed field goal and had a chance to make it a one-score game again, but after a costly penalty wiped out what would have been a 20-yard catch for Jakaius Cradle at midfield, they were backed up and forced to punt, and from there the Tar Heels rattled off 28 straight points and put the game well beyond doubt. Quad Brown struggled for the second straight game, finishing with 68 passing yards, a 46% completion percentage, and one interception. 
For UNC, Sam Howell was resplendent, throwing for 352 yards, rushing for a team-high 104, and scoring five total touchdowns. So, uh, gentlemen, lots to unpack here, but yeah, have at it. No, Brady definitely can go first, uh, but I do want to applaud you for that word really quick. Resplendent, excellent word choice. Yeah, I mean, resplendent, you can say that. You can say that for just about all of what UNC did for most of that game. Um, I think we kind of knew that they were going to come in pretty angry. We talked about it. They were coming off a loss, too, and it was this is a team that was like, we're going to compete with Clemson for the ACC championship and completely didn't have it in the first game. So you figured to get a response. And so in that respect, it was kind of the, the worst time for Georgia State to play UNC. And, you know, I think that there were some plays in the second half and that maybe the first rushing touchdown, definitely <laughs> the second rushing touchdown that Sam Howell had that it's a little bit just on Georgia State taking, you know, missing assignments, not being at it and just kind of letting a guy run for longer than he should without getting touched. But in the first half, like as they took that lead, the first touchdown the Sam Howell threw was literally perfect throw that only his receiver could catch. Receiver still had to run and get it a little bit, and he did extend it out and got it in the end zone. And, you know, Jalen Jones couldn't really do a lot in coverage there. Uh, the next touchdown he threw was really perfect timing. He got it to Emory Simmons right out of him, coming out of his route, and then Simmons put on some works to get past Quay White and getting the touchdown. And so when we talked last time, it was basically like, Make sure that what happens is when you get beat, it's, you know, the talented UNC is beating you. And, and that happened the first half. In the second half, both sides of the ball, everything just kind of got away from them after that penalty called back to cradle catch that really would have set them up in really decent spot and kind of unraveled from there. And so, I mean, records 0-2, I think they've played basically two quarters that you'd rate as acceptable so i there's definitely problems and i definitely it exceeds just you played a good army team and you played a really good unc team but yeah i it, you know i think that we passed what david has said is his test where it was georgia state played a good half but you know after seeing it all play out i i think it's possible that that bar was maybe a little bit too low for what we were really hoping to see Agree. Um, I think that bar was a little bit lower um, than what I wanted to see based on the expectations we had for them coming into the season. Um, I don't know. It's it's weird because the defense gave up what four uh, fifty two points. There was a pick six. Um, you know, pick six some... didn't count. Pick six wasn't a pick six. That's right. He stepped he stepped out of bounds. So then, you know, they were at like the eight or something. So technically the defense did, you know, give that up. Um, in a weird way, I feel better. I, I guess I don't want to say that the defense played better than the offense because that's not necessarily true because they didn't play good. I mean, neither of them necessarily played well. Um but personally, I feel better about the defense. I think there were more individual performances that I can pick out and say, okay, you know, that guy did that his job right there. Um, you know, I think 
like Jalen, like you, you know, you mentioned it early. That first touchdown that Sam Howell threw, and like like Jalen Jones was right there. He had his hand in basically in the receiver's like cradle basket to you know get the ball. But you know that's just the okay. You're just playing an ACC type team and not tight. You're playing an ACC team and they just have more talent than you. And this was a perfectly thrown ball by a guy who's probably going to be in the NFL next year. Like that's you know you tip your cap. And I think. A lot of UNC's big plays, for the most part, it was just a, a lot of it was just good scheme. Like, I, you know, I'll be honest. Like, I was keeping track when I wrote UFR, and I when I rewatched the game, I was keeping track of kind of just you know seeing what the you know the protection was, seeing you know where Georgia State was lined up, and kind of what they wanted to do. Um, and I think Georgia State put themselves in positions to make favorable plays and have good down and distances on defense for a lot of the game, you know, specifically in the first half, uh, especially after the first quarter. Um, but then on, you know, on third down, it would just be like they'd get a big chunk play, you know, eight yards or something to get that first down. And, you know, it's not like the coverage was bad or it's not like, you know, somebody was out of position. You know, I think like there was one time. Uh, I believe it was John Trey Hunter. He was, you know, he was in the front seven and he was coming home um, and he inadvertently went into the A gap instead of staying in the B gap. And so that's exactly where Howell went to pick up a first down with for a six yard rush. You know, you know, it's stuff like that. Like, that's just a smart quarterback who understands what the defense is doing. Um, you know, a guy is trying to go around other pass rushers or, you know, blitzers and, you know, like that, you just tip your cap on that play. You know, yes, there were some plays where it was just like, okay, this guy's wide open and Georgia state is not covering him. This is bad. Um, but I, you know, I, I think that there was definitely players who played well on the defensive side of the ball. You know, Blake Carroll showed up this week in a way that he didn't last week. And, you know, I feel less concerned about the yard total and the point total that the defense gave up than I do necessarily about some things with the offense. Yeah, I mean, I thought the the front seven played well in the run game. Um, Coach Elliott also thought that, too. I mean, post game, he was like the frustrating thing was that they had played well in the, with both fronts for enough of the game that it was a game. Um, and that even continued even as things started spiraling on offense a little bit. I mean, the the 62 yard run Sam Howell got is pretty much the one really just indefensibly bad. You know, they just lost contain on him and he's not like he is a agile quarterback because all quarterbacks are, you know, athletes in these days and he can run for 62 yards and get a score. Like this isn't to say he's like a stick in the pocket, but it's not a guy who should get 62 yard touchdown runs against you. And it was just a case of, you know, they lost contain originally and then just no one was able to fight their way back into the play and quarterbacks, you know, turned around the wrong way out of position. And it just, that was the real ugly play. But if you do take that play out, which doesn't, you know, count for how you can evaluate the game because it still happened. But if you do take that play out, the UNC rushing yards total is 139 on 39 carries. And so that works out to just over 3.5 yards per carry, which that's really good against an ACC team. Uh, So... Definitely wanted to say that it's through two games and 
Yes, the overall raw numbers against Army looked worse and were worse because Army is a team that runs it as often as they do, and they end up with 258 on the ground. But, you know, we're sitting here through two games where the neither side of the ball has played particularly well, and the team has lost heavily in both games. But I really can't say the run defense has really been a problem, and that's something you can at least has as a thing to build on as you go forward to games that you hope that you're going to fight and be more in as the season goes on. That Howell run, the touchdown, was funny because that touchdown by itself was his career high in rushing yards in a game. <laughs> Which is not good, but it's kind of funny. Right, it's 53 before. The first one, the first score of the game also wasn't great, but it wasn't nearly as spread out 60 yards. It was like a 22-yard run. I think he he had a guy who was supposed to be in his zone on that side of the field, and just he wasn't there fast enough. And by that point, Jordan it was kind of like, yeah, it was just basically at that point. Once he got past the one guy, he had kind of a lane. He had a blocker uh, with the receiver downfield, and neither of those are great. And those are the ones I would single out is just kind of like those can't happen. But I guess you know we should just switch and just say. I mean, I don't want to just repeat a lot of what we said with the offense as what we said with the Army game, because, I mean, that would be redundant and bad podcasting. Uh, but it just felt, again, like there was a drive or two where they got into a good rhythm on offense, and they scored on those drives. The 17-play, 75-yard drive, that's a drive we've seen multiple times, 2019, 2020. You know, it was even the point where I, was, I thought that Quad looked as comfortable as he has all season and kind of looked in the same vein of how Dan would run the offense because that was a drive where when there was shortened distances on third down, that I think there was one or two times where he called his own number on a, you know, on a speed option or on a design draw for him. And he picked up the yardage himself, which he's been less willing or less doing, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's willing or not, uh, just hasn't been there as much in his game. And we had that drive, uh, continued to push down the field he eventually got the touchdown run from four yards out and that was great it was like the touchdown drive against army where everything just clicked and it was like that's the Georgia State offense and the rest of the game whether it was overthrows or drops both of which happened plentifully uh the passing game couldn't really get out of its own way and you had situations where they were in maybe long down in distances on a second down and they threw and it was either an overthrow or a drop that shouldn't have happened. And so you're then in a third and long, and it's not an offense designed for that. And it also happened a, a couple of times on even manageable distances where it's, just, okay, get this catch, pick up the first down, move the chains. And, you know, it's not an offense. It's not nearly as drilled like the triple option where if it stays off schedule, it's just going to completely go off the tracks because, you know, theoretically, this Georgia State team has the ability to pass the ball better than traditional triple option teams but it sort of has been that way where it's been either they're staying in bad down in distances or when they're in the good down in distances they're just the play is not there you know the, the play is there but they're not making it and saw a lot of that on saturday you definitely did um i want to go back to that drive really fast because it, we can be honest. I don't think Quad has played well this year by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not ready to b bust out the sophomore slump label. Um, it's too early for that. You know, we need to see a big picture. But I do want to highlight something about that drive because I think 
Georgia State has attempted to run that drive before this season, and it has not worked. And they've also attempted to to you know run the ball, and we can talk you know we can talk about the ground game in a second too. And that you know they've also attempted to pass the ball with mixed success. Um, but on that drive, here were Quad's numbers: he rushed four times for seventeen yards. He threw four times for, and three of them were completed for twenty-four yards. And it, it just—if you look at the the flow of that drive, it was just such a good level of balance. And I, I don't want to say that he—he's—he's he's definitely not the type of runner that Dan was, where. Uh, you know, Dan was a really smart runner. He definitely knew the situations where he was going to run to bail himself out. And I feel like with quad, especially last week and after I think like the Arkansas state game last year, you could kind of tell that he was only really a willing runner when he was, had to be forced to run um, like on designed runs. That doesn't mean they didn't bust out the option and, you know, he didn't keep it for pitches. Um, if, if I can be honest, I was really encouraged to see that they busted out the option um, and he kept it even in decisions where I don't think he should have kept it um, and then pitched it in decisions where I don't think he should have as well. Um, but I was I was encouraged at least to see that I was in his back pocket because I don't think he is a confident runner. I think he has the ability to run. He picked up a couple first downs in the game using his legs. Um, and I, I think that adds a level of intrigue. And, you know, the Brad Glenn offense is a Swiss Army knife offense. You know, he wants to beat you in a variety of different ways. If you're going to run 80 plays on offense, that's, you know, that's what you got to do. Um but, out, you know, outside of that drive and, you know, I think the one touchdown drive in the Army game, it's like for whatever reason, that style of offense has just not manifested itself well. Um, and I, I think the, you know, you can't be a one dimensional offense. Excuse me, the the McCoy drops and overthrows from quad are frustrating because, you know, you, you have to be able to do the other things to make the option work as effective you know you got to make sure defense honor both sides of what you're trying to do obviously um but it, i i don't want people to sit there and say that they the talent still isn't there because you know you, we've seen it we've seen it. it it might have only been two drives where we've seen it all put together like that but it, it's definitely still there and I, I think that's the i guess the frustrating part with the quality of opponent is because you know it's not like it has been like the coastal game last year, Georgia state could not get out of the rear, like in reverse the entire game after that missed blocked field goal or whatever. It was just bad for the entire rest of the game, but that's, that hasn't been the case through two games yet. Yes. The drives have been few and far between obviously, but there still has been attempts for them to move the ball. And there still has been times where they've, they've been successful at moving the ball. And you know, the, the, like the, the 20 yard, Jakaias cradle catch that would have put them at midfield. You know, obviously Pat Bartlett was, you know, uh, an ineligible receiver downfield, but you know, that was a great play. Quad made a great throw, you know, and there were times where they looked to stretch the field, you know, the, the Sam Pinkney 12 yard catch as well. You know, it wasn't the best throw, but it, you know, that level of trying to stretch the field that, you know, I think accuracy has been a big problem with quad this year. Um, and that absolutely has to get cleaned up, but it, it, they're still the 
the bare bones of what was a very successful offense in 2020 is absolutely still here. It's just been, you know, you mentioned it last week. The execution has just not been there. Yeah, I mean, I almost misspoke when I was just speaking about how the plays weren't there. And that's not what I meant to say, because the plays have been there, particularly this last game. You had a lot of open receivers, you know, on flag routes, whatever. There was possibilities for conversions, big plays. And, you know, we've seen when some of these guys get in open field and get the ball in their hands, like maybe some of these plays where guys open to the middle of the field turns into a huge play just because he hits top speed and gets past safety. You know, maybe a guy takes the wrong angle, but that's never going to happen if the ball isn't on the money or if the ball is on the money and the, you know, the receiver can't bring it in. So I would just say that whatever is not clicking, whether it's a confidence thing with, quad or whether it's just a rhythm thing or whatever it is whatever is the reason for the issues it's frustrating to look at the results and it's not like you can take a ton of positives away but the plays have been there and so if you get the throws on target more if you catch them when the ball is on target i you know i don't think that on that side of the side of the equation georgia state has to fix as much because i think that they've had open receivers to make some plays and it hasn't worked out. And so I guess whatever is the issue there has to get sorted because, you know, you're not going to suddenly win this game against Charlotte, continuing to waste all these opportunities. And yeah, I mean, I guess flipping it around because you were talking about the run game a little bit. I thought that the offensive line played pretty well. Uh, the pass protection held up. Uh, the run blocking was there. Uh, they had some big plays, which wasn't as much of a factor in the Army game. And especially given who they were playing, I thought that they held their own. I, I think the one thing, and I, I was talking about this earlier with David, that I think if we had told you that Darren Granger would be co-leading the team in rushing after two games, I, I think it would be fair to say that some alarm bells would be going off. And that's not to say anything, you know, Darren Granger's a good rusher we saw. I think he got robbed of that touchdown. I think he made that pylon, but, you know, the referee's, you know, whatever. They, George State got to run an extra play. Marcus Carroll got a touchdown. It's fine. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't think robbed. that you would have... I, yeah, I, it was a touchdown. I, I don't I don't know if it even got reviewed, which I was confused by, because they went to a commercial break. It's like, guys, the guy's on the field, you might as well. Uh, but I don't think that it was in the formula that he was going to... His 58 yards that he's got it, is the joint lead for the team in rushing, because it's a team that has been nearer to 200 yards rushing than 100 yards rushing basically all of the last three, four years with Coach Elliott here. And so the fact that they're sitting at 114 on an average, even though that's just two games, so it's a really skewed average, uh, that's not what Georgia State wants to do. And I thought Tucker Gregg had a good game. He only ended up uh, carrying the ball seven times, but seven for 32, four yards a rush. And on that drive that went 17 plays, he got some conversions and just ran some tough yards. But it just feels like if there's a critique to be had, it's just that there hasn't really been anyone step up above the rest of the group in that running back room. And it doesn't feel like... I feel like there have been more plays to be made, and I think that there's a chance that Georgia State could have a couple more of those big plays and you know, maybe one of the games goes differently if you just pop a big run like we've been accustomed to seeing George State doing. And so 
you know, I think the blocking recovered. I don't think the, the blocking was as good in the Army game. And so you could say, OK, the offensive line didn't hold up as well as you wanted them to. But I thought they held up fine, even controlled this line of scrimmage at times against UNC. And so if that's sorted, if that's good and the blocking is going to be there, you're just going to have to make some plays. You're going to have to hit the hole, get first down yardage and make some impact plays. Yeah, if UNC is not pushing this Georgia State offensive line around, then no one really, realistically, should be able to just push them around like that. So, you know, I see that continue forward as well. Uh, yeah, I think after the Army game, we were, it was something to watch, but they definitely played well against UNC. You definitely can say that. And, you know, that, that, that kind of hits home at, at to like the, I guess, the theme here anyway. Georgia State just lost the football game 59 to 17. That's not good. Obviously not good. They've been blown out in two games. Uh, you know, they have scored 20 points, I guess you could say, in minutes that matter and given up a ton of points, almost 100 points. But there's still been individual performances that were that make you go, okay, you know, do this again. And, you know, you'll probably come away with wins. And, you know, it's just it comes down to that execution again. And that's that's definitely something that needs to get cleaned up because it's going to be an incredibly long season if the execution stays as it is right now. You know, I, I, I'm still optimistic, I suppose, maybe optimism isn't the right term that I should use here. But, you know, I, I don't think there is anything that has that is red flaggy enough to where I think, yeah, this totally changes the complexion of the season. Now, obviously they need to start playing and executing how I believe they can, you know, duh. Um, but I'm still team not worried. All right. So let's go ahead and look at this weekend's opponent, Charlotte. The 49ers are led by third year coach, Will Healy, who came to the queen city after leading the rebuild of FCS Austin P from 2016 to 2018. They are two and O on the season with home wins over Duke of the ACC and FCS Gardner Webb. Offensively, Charlotte's shown a type of balance that Georgia state fans might recognize winning, whichever suits them on a given week. Against Duke, they aired it out for 324 passing yards. Against Gardner-Webb, they pounded the rock to the tune of 306 rushing yards. The Niners' pass defense has shown early on, giving up a completion percentage just north of 50% and just one touchdown. Conversely, their run defense has struggled, allowing Duke 353 yards on the ground and a scorching 8.02 yards per carry. Players to watch, quarterback Chris Reynolds, a threat through the air and on his feet, and defensive end Marquise Watts, who has the team lead with two sacks. So, gentlemen, thoughts on Charlotte? All right. And I know we just came out of an election, and this word was overused a ton, but this will be your bellwether game for whatever we have with Georgia State in terms of their running attack. <laughs> I can see your faces. <laughs> Uh, okay, Charlotte. Winner of this game has won games. the presidential election every year since 2004. <laughs> yes, they absolutely have. Um, but, you know, I, I stand by what I say, though, jokes aside, because, you know, we, we believe the offensive identity for this team is a team that runs the ball incredibly well. They're too talented at running the ball uh, to be as poor as they have been. You know, you kind of saw, the I believe, the uh, total yards gained, you know, without losses and sacks. 
and the UNC game was over 200 for Georgia State. Um, and I, you know, I, I expect the total net to be over 200 in this game as well. Um, Charlotte has shown that they are going to be a little bit stingier in the pass defense than in the run defense. Um, I'm not predicting that Georgia State will necessarily drop 353 on them like Duke did. Um, but it tells me, you know, when somebody, anybody can run that much on you and their average, their average giving up 6.5 yards on the ground per play, the, the running will be there for Georgia State. It's just a matter of if they can hit those holes, get those holes, hit them and exploit them. Uh, I think it's going to be a very long day if they can't, because it's Charlotte has shown that they also have the ability to, you know, identify a weakness or have a game plan, stick to it and be successful with it. Yeah, uh, the one thing with the rush defense, and this is something that I came across uh, middle of the week, I didn't know it right away. Uh, they've got a transfer from Miami, Jalar Hawley who's going to be playing, making his debut for Charlotte in this game as a defensive lineman. Uh, so, you know, power conference transfers can be impact players, could be just rotation guy. We don't really know uh, what he's going to do, but could be a guy that's able to better shore up their run defense. So I guess can't take it as a certainty that they're necessarily as bad, although one player doesn't totally change the nucleus, so it works both ways. But yeah, like David said, I, this is a team that wants to run the ball early and often. The pieces seem like they're there now that we've seen the offensive line play better. We've seen every one of those running backs uh, offer something in the past where it's like, yes, this person can get you a couple of scores, can get you some hard yards, and haven't seen it as much in the first two games. But we know that it's a talented group. And yeah, I, I just wonder with quad struggles, he hasn't had any passing touchdowns on the year. He's got the two interceptions, so obviously I think it's going to be a, a game plan built on running the ball, both just because of what Charlotte's offered on their game film and also what George State wants to do. But I just wonder if he needs one of just a big shot to go his way. He gets a, a throw right down the sideline, right in the hands of you know Sam Pinckney or Jakaias Cradle, someone wide open for a touchdown. And if that's just going to reset his confidence because – He's a definitely a confident guy. That's the vibe that I got when we were talking to him in media availability in the run to this season. So I don't think that he's lacking for confidence, but it might be in those moments he's just maybe a little bit hesitant, whether it's passing or running. He just doesn't really seem like he is running things like you would want your quarterback to be doing in those situations. And so I just wonder, given that he's got a cut, he's got the rushing touchdown this last week, but he hasn't really had that play happen where he can just take that stick in his back pocket and say, I've still got that. And I, I just wonder if that's what it's going to take. So, you know, my personal opinion, first drive, I'd be looking for a big shot to get him confident. Other than that, run the ball. Uh, it's what you want to do. It's what you're made to do. And I, I don't know. I, I, I think that Georgia state is coming in near as low as they possibly could have been coming into this game. And I think Charlotte is coming in near about as high as they could have been coming to this game. And so you're facing a team that knows they're good, beat an ACC team, which it's Duke, but it's still an ACC team. You can't take that away from them. And 
aside from anything else, I mean, Georgia State players aren't going to be looking anything more than game to game because that's how football works. But this is a pretty pivotal game that even if Georgia State were to flip a switch at some point later in the year, it could still be in the case where you're backed into such a corner because of your early losses that that's how you lose out on a bowl game. Even though this is non-conference, it's not going to factor into that side of things. Starting 0-3, potentially 0-4 if you lose to Auburn, as probably would be expected, especially if you lose this game as well and you're 0-3 coming in. That's going to set you way back as far as even making a bowl game, which is at least a secondary goal for this team. And so that's not how the team's going to be approaching it. I think the team's going to be trying to show that they've got something. And, you know, look, it's an experienced team, and so far that hasn't really shown out. And we know it's also a deep team, so... Coach made some allusions to this earlier in the week that, you know, without giving anything away because he's not going to do that um, before a game, that I, I wouldn't surprise me if there's a little bit of like, all right, you guys that have been seniors that have been in these starting roles, this guy's behind you and he might be hungrier than you. Like, you've got to make some plays. And so, you know, it's it's going to be a pivotal game for a lot of reasons because... The team's got to show that they can play good for themselves. The fans are going to want to see Georgia State play well. And for what they want to do this season, they're going to have to play well because they need to win this game. Is that you calling this a must-win, Brady? Is that, is that I, that's what I hear. I mean, I guess we're just knocking out all the cliches in one game preview, but it's an important game. You know, like, it, it, it is certainly as important is. as a non-conference game that won't affect how you have a standing in the Sun Belt can be. I mean, I don't think it will end up as the game that... Well, I guess I'll say this. It could be the game that you look back at and say, that's where Georgia State started playing like Georgia State again. Because, you know, I'm not putting down Charlotte. They're, they've got two wins. They've been building last year. Kind of got COVIDed all the way out, so it basically isn't really a data point. They went to a bowl game in 2019... Uh, they're a building program, and it's not. But when Georgia State has played a team that might win 10 games in Army and a team that should win double-digit games in UNC and next week is Auburn, it's going to be the one where you're going to have to say, we're at home, you've got to win this game. And, you know, I guess it's the, the balance between confidence and cockiness and i don't think that they've necessarily landed that right because it seems like things aren't going well for as talented as we know this team is but you know they've got to go in with some confidence in this game which they're gonna have to kind of manufacture themselves probably in this week of practice to have some good practices feel better about themselves but this is gonna be a game that it's either zero and three and more of the same and feel like you know who the georgia state team is which you would hope is not the case because it's not what they've shown that they can be or they can turn the page. One and two is still going to look pretty ugly, but if the results on the field and the process looks good, you can live with it. And you, you move on to Auburn and then conference play. Yeah, confidence is a really big thing. Um, I, I want to touch on one thing. You know, I, I feel like people want us to open up some quarterback battle or whatever. I don't think we're there. Um, but I, you know, I want to use that word confidence specifically to highlight one thing that I have seen and that's Darren Granger looks a lot more confident than quad does right now. And it could be because of garbage time. It could be, you know, a whole list of reasons, but I want that to flip. Um, I definitely know. I, I, I don't, I can't say that I know specifically that quad has more talent than Granger. Um, 
But, the, you know, obviously Coach Elliott sees something in Quad. He made him the starter coming into the year, you know. Um, and it just whenever Quad has done anything this year, it's just it has lacked a certain sense of uh, an established knowledge that this is what I am supposed to be doing right now. You know, that level of confidence that we saw later on in the year last year isn't there. And even, you know, if it's a close game and Georgia State plays well and they lose, okay, fine. But I, the regaining of Quad's confidence is so important, especially going forward. Um, because I, I think what people want when they say, oh, you know, start Granger, Quad's not been good, is, you know, Granger has kind of put in a little, he's kind of jolted the offense when it's, he's come in a little bit. Um, you definitely saw it in the UNC game. You know, that run was electric, and we have not seen Quad make a play with his arm or his legs anywhere close to that. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously you're playing against guys who know that the game's out of reach and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I want for if Quad's playing this uh, Saturday the entire game, you know, the whole game needs to be him showing some level of confidence that we have not seen. And, he, you know, he's going to make mistakes. He's going to do this, that, and the other. but. Dang it! This is the quad confidence game. Let's let's call it right now. That's that's what it needs to be. And you know, I was going to touch on the defense briefly as well, but to just finish that, talked about it. And we were talking about the UNC game. Second part of the quad confidence is guys got to bring in catches when he puts it on them. Not all of the incompletions have been on quad. There's been bad drops, and you know that's just got to be cleaned up. Got to keep the offense on schedule and. Yeah, it, it builds up, you know, the incompletion, even if not all of them were overthrows, it builds up for quad and he probably every quarterback's perfectionist. And so he probably is in his head thinking I didn't put that in the right spot, even though some of them like, yeah, you did put him in the right spot. You just didn't bring it in. Um, but, you know, the defense, I, I think that limiting big plays was really good in the Army game, a little more of a trouble in the UNC game. And so I guess you kind of got lots of points put up in the different ways, which I get, which theoretically worries you. But as we've touched on, I think we feel a little bit better. But for me, I just think that they're going to have to make some plays for their own. You know, I think that get a sack, get a forced fumble, get a pick in a key spot. I, I think that's the one thing that's maybe been missing from the defense so far is that it hasn't really felt like they've been beat back the entire game. It's just that they're, continuing to get you know the other team staying on the field they're stopping them in a fair amount of third down situations in the army game they were limiting big plays but army was still staying on the field and it ended up being a lot of when they got off the field it was because of third down stop or whatever because they got the red zone and so with field goal time or whatever and i think if the one thing you could be looking for which we saw in bulk last year and so we know the capability there is for the turnovers the big impact plays um Help yourself out by getting yourself off the field, by getting a turnover. And then that in turn is going to feed the offense. We know that that's how it works. We, we know the way a game feels right after a big play happens by a defense. The offense is fired up. They run on the field. They're amped up. And uh, I guess the last thing I'd want to say is just night football. Big fan. Happy to have it again at Center Park Stadium. Uh, let's talk about realignment, the last uh, major headline topic of this episode. So as you have undoubtedly seen by now, the Big 12 has made their calls. BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF will join the conference no later than 2024, but probably earlier, depending on how 
stuff ends up shaking out. All the balls are in the air. The American Conference is expected to look aggressively at replacing the three schools they lost, and the Sun Belt isn't shying away from the chance either, believing they're the best-suited conference to become the top football G5 conference. The line from Sun Belt Commission Keith Gill. I spoke to our conference CEOs and ADs yesterday at the time of the tweet that this was contained in about the current realignment in a few FBS conferences and how it puts us in a more advantageous position for our programs to thrive. So there's been a lot of speculation on message boards and different media outlets about how this realignment is going to shake out, how it's not going to shake out, who goes where, who doesn't go where. Gentlemen, I know you have thoughts. Let's hear them. Well, my first thought is just on the landscape and and the aforementioned media sources and message boards. My first thought is just I don't think anyone really knows what's happening. I think there was a pretty easy sense that Cincy and Houston, BYU and UCF were going to be the teams that the Big 12 or whoever wanted. And that's how that shook out. I think at this point, we don't really know what the AAC wants. Uh, we, we're pretty sure we have little rumblings from, you know, they don't want football to drop so bad, but also they want to look out for their basketball schools, but also they want to look out for the schools that are academics first and, you know, look at the profile of the school academically. And so all this to say is they want everything. And so that makes me go back to my point of no one really knows what they want. Uh, but just as a general point, it is kind of fun that conference realignment's happening again. Basically, the first time it's happened in a major way like this, with major players moving like this in our time of following college football. And we might have touched on that the first time we did realignment talk, but just wanted to say that again. I am a fan of it in general, just shaking up the landscape's fun. But, you know, with Georgia State podcast, so Georgia State's point of view, it's tricky. Uh, I think that there is a case to be made for Georgia State to the AAC, and we've made it multiple times through articles and on the podcast, but it's not like a perfect fit right now. It's still like a little too early, especially because the AAC didn't wait at all after Texas and Oklahoma made their moves. They've now made their four that they're adding. And so for me, I'm not ruling it out, but I would say that the probably the best case scenario is if the AAC decides right now they want to fill one spot and it feels like uab is kind of the the best profile for what they're looking for with all of the factors and it seems like when they make a move most people are saying uab is top of the list and the rest of the list is kind of it depends on what the aac wants so they've got a whole range of ways they could go with it and they could expand out west and they could go with the media market and like the big city with georgia and with atlanta with georgia state and so I guess my thoughts is just as far as Georgia State's concerned, I think the best case scenario for them is that it's just UAB for now and the AAC re-explores the conversation later because I don't know that they've got a lock on a top two or three argument for getting accepted. That sounds so bad because, you know, I, I still remember when that rumor that UConn was going to leave the uh, American a few years ago when I, when I saw that and I like, you know, posed it to you guys and was like, oh, you know, this is something. And I was thinking like, OK, what are some schools that could replace UConn in that conference? You know, and one could easily make the logical conclusion that Georgia State fits it. Um, but you're right. And that sucks. 
it sucks because uh, we have been talking about it so long, you know, best case scenario for a lot of Georgia state parties involved would be if the American an invitation to them, but I also don't think they're ready. Um, and I don't know, you know, if I can channel my inner Isaiah Thomas, I don't know what criteria is going into the selection process. Um, I know that there are certain things that Georgia State probably doesn't match up with well um, through, you know, kind of no fault of their own. I, d- I don't want to like put the program down when I say this, you know, like I've, I've seen on the interwebs people talking about App State just, and I, you know, I will talk about App State for a second and I will only talk about them because I don't want to get into a, a bad, metaphorical back and forth with people. App State has a good football team, good football program. It's got a rich history. It's got a good fan base. You know, I personally think that that stadium in Boone is one of my favorite stadiums that I've ever been to. The list isn't that big, but I'm sure if I had been to every single stadium, football, basketball, baseball, it would still be in the top 20. You know, let's let's be honest. Um and I think if the American is looking at, you know, replacing those three schools and they say, OK, we want a school, you know, hands down, really good at football, you know, and they look at the landscape of schools that are out there, they're going to pick App State. You know, is Boone, you know, the sexiest media market? Eh, probably not. Um, does App State have the most, you know, acumen in terms of academics or, you know, basketball or other sports? Eh, probably not. You know, but if if the American Conference is looking to replace Cincinnati, Houston, and their what 2018 national champion, the UCF, you know, Black Knights or whatever they are, that you know that they're going to go look at the App States. You know, Georgia State can't compete with the history and the you know the fan base that App State has. And you know, that's that's not a slight on Georgia State or Georgia State fans. It's an 11 year old program. You know, we're talking about an App State. You know, there are college football fans all across the country of various ages who still remember where they were when Michigan missed that kick, you know. Um, And, you know, Georgia State, yes, they have the Tennessee win. Yes, it was good. Yes, Coach Elliott has brought them in a level of success that they've never had before. You know, they've been bowling three times in the last four years, including two wins. You know, I like I get that. I get all of that. Um, yes, the, you know, the facilities are much better than just renting out space in the Georgia Dome, you know, even if they're not 100% where they want to be or, you know, where some other places are, um, you know, but that, that's just football. You know, we, we, weren't, we, we aren't even talking about basketball, you know, and Georgia State basketball from a results standpoint probably matches up well with anybody. Um, but, you know, the new the new convocation center hasn't been completed yet. It's not going to open until next fall, um, you know, and th- I think there are we aren't talking about a Georgia State basketball team with like a they've had success. You know, they you know, they went to the tournament not in the last two years, but they went in back to back years before that. But, you know, it's still the Sun Belt. It's still there are still plenty that the basketball program could do to improve their standing that would make it more of a diversifier over, you know, having a football team with uh, better fan attendance or, you know, more history and better results as well. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a bummer. Uh, no, I can't even say that it's a bummer yet because the AAC hasn't picked and who knows, maybe they do pick, end up picking Georgia state. Um, 
but right now, if you know, if the, as Brady said, if they make a decision soon, I personally don't see Georgia State being picked over some other schools. Or I, I would at least, I'll at least say that I will be surprised if they do pick Georgia State over some other schools. Yeah, I mean, there's a it's a little bit fields of dreamy with uh, Georgia State. There's a lot of if they build it, if you build it, they will come with the pitch for Georgia State going to the AAC and that making the move to that conference especially with the new facilities that are going to be coming at the time will build more of the fan support that you're looking to grow. will bring in more attention and money to Georgia state, you know, from donors or from whoever. And then that's going to, it's going to be all, you know, rising side, rising tide raises all boats or whatever. Um, and so if the logic there falls for the AC and they feel like taking that shot, then Georgia state's going to be in a good shout because I think that they have, the academic profile that they're looking for is university and they have the city and the market that they're looking for. But if they're not wanting to risk it on that things and saying, yeah, you've got the maybe that's going to happen when we invite you. But if you don't, then we don't want to deal with that potential problem in our, in our conference, then it's not going to happen, but it's, it's just going to be down to that. And presumably guys working behind the scenes, you know, new president in town, making some calls, talking to people, pumping up Georgia state. And so we'll see how it all shakes out. But I guess the other thing that I'm interested in, I don't know how everyone perceives the Sunbelt, but it does seem like the Sunbelt thinks the good stuff about the Sunbelt. You know, Keith Gill saying a lot of stuff about how they like their conference. They think they can be the best football conference and, it sounds like they're maybe going to try and make some pitches to some of the same schools that the AAC might be looking at and maybe even going down in FCS and bringing up some more transition. Because the biggest bet that the Sunbelt made in recent years was adding App State, adding Georgia Southern, and then adding Coastal Carolina, along with Georgia State. But all of that, those four transitions could have gone badly and it could have been a situation where you're having teams that are clearly not ready for this level struggling, but at varying different levels of success, all four teams have offered something, you know, a couple of them have won conference championships already. I think Georgia state's the only one who hasn't actually of those four. Uh, and even they, you know, even Georgia state, you can say they've had the bull success. They've been winning, having winning season. So I think that bet paid off. And so if they like a team, at the FCS, someone like a James Madison, uh, maybe one of the more oddball ones. There's been a lot of names out there. This is the fun part about realignment season. Um, oh, do you? I feel like they might feel good about themselves to say it worked out and we think we can ha have a, the right pick and have them come up and compete and add the profile. Uh, the one that's interesting to me is Marshall. There's a potential if they try and get them from Conference USA. Uh, you know, if, if we're in a situation where the calls don't come from the AAC for Georgia State, but the Sun Belt is able to add, I don't know that that's necessarily like a bad world to be in. I think that there's a perception difference. I think that people just think the American is better than the Sun Belt, whether that's true or not. And I don't know that that's going to change immediately just because the AAC just did lose a handful of their best conference teams. So I, I don't know that I, that's still an uphill battle as far as convincing just the layman out there who follows sports that the Sunbelt is this elite G5 conference. But 
I will say that if they can get someone like a Marshall who's been competitive in the two biggest sports, competitive in even one of the better G5 teams in football, and if they can get some of these other guys, you know, I'm interested to see what they want to do. And I'm not going to sit here and get my toys and throw them in the air and be upset if Georgia State gets left out if the Sunbelt is able to make some moves. I think stagnant, being stagnant, stagnation would be a bad thing just because it doesn't seem likely that the Sunbelt is going to do nothing and the AAC is going to do nothing. And so if the Sunbelt isn't making moves, it means that another conference is probably going to be getting some better teams and the level of potential competition for Georgia State and all that comes with that isn't going to be available in the Sun Belt. So that's why I'm intrigued by if nothing happens for Georgia State, I am definitely invested in the Sun Belt doing something because, you know, it, it's they're going to make some moves anyway because it sounds like they just kind of have an amicable divorce with the two basketball onlys in UTA and Little Rock. It seems like that's moving towards. So you're going to have some spaces in the basketball league, and they've already got some spaces in football that they'd be willing to offer. And so I'm definitely interested to see what happens there. All I can say is whatever happens, Georgia State needs to be in a multi-bid conference. However you make that happen in basketball, let's get it. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I think the reputation thing goes down to as simple as the American, even with the teams that have now left, could probably still make a case for being multi-bid league the next March Madness. And the Sun Belt's still not there. And even the teams that we've been talking about getting added to the conference don't really raise the basketball profile. So if we're talking about, or at least not to that level, um, Marshall's got a good program, JMU's fine, you know, whatever. Um, they got it'd be a fun reunion of Mark Byington and Georgia Southern basketball if that happened. But um, yeah, I, I think that we maybe focus a lot on football, but basketball is another place where perception wise, the Sun Belt is the Sun Belt maybe has a case for being the best G5 football league. Just if you're looking at the top output, you know, they're at least in that conversation where it's like this this conference is getting better. Yeah, basketball took a step back this past year and it's never really been on that level to begin with. And so. Yeah, that definitely is an interesting um, point on that as well, is that they probably need to add someone who's a really stellar basketball program if they're going to go that route, even if they are also interested in bulking up the football ranks. All right, so definitely lots to uh, keep your eyes on as the whole situation unfolds. Of course, we will be right there behind any news concerning Georgia State or anything that could be of interest toward future ramifications but yeah as of as of now like we said there's just there's not too much to go on until something happens uh conference officials and university presidents are the people that make these decisions after all not random people online so we're just uh adding to the noise there but that'll be exciting to follow before we get you guys out of here for this week we did want to hit some of the sports bits this past week men's golf finishes 13 of 14 in the maui gym invitational volleyball goes two and one on last weekend's competition men's soccer loses in double overtime to belmont women's soccer tied Furman two two and beat presbyterian six to one coming up this weekend women's cross country heads to the north alabama showcase on friday morning men's soccer travels to face winthrop on saturday and davidson on tuesday women's soccer plays at texas state on sunday all three soccer matches available on espn plus and of course football at center park stadium host the Charlotte 49ers. Brady and I will be there and hope to see you at the game. 
And if not, catch the Panthers online or on TV or however you choose to consume media and take care of whatever you got to take care of. And we will see you next week. Bye-bye. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night, or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com. 